What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? This is Muscle, and this is another Two Line Music Cuts Entertainment Report podcast. And today, we have a really special legend in the building. Listen, last year, 2020, she celebrated her 40th year in the music industry. This year, 2021, is her 41st anniversary in the music business. Listen, she started out as a child star, but now she's an adult. She brought you hits like Action, Anything For You, Babyface, and right now, she has out a new EP called in my blood you know we have in the building today we have nadine sutherland in the building today what's going on my sister how are you muscle i am good thank you what's going on um kingston jamaica <laughs> beautiful day beautiful Definitely. um winter it's caribbean winter day i should yeah. say because i know that in the northeast now there's a snowstorm so whole different reality no we don't have no snow out here yet and hopefully it stays that way but it's okay out here right now okay you're in canada right yep like new york is new york and the tri-state area it's crazy right now yeah <laughs> we're in new york i remember when they used to laugh at us and say that we used to get all the snow now they're the ones getting all the snow so it's <laughs> it seems so right it really seems so <laughs> yes definitely i wanted to welcome you to the entertainment report podcast this is where i like to actually go right back in your story and bring it right up to 2021 all right oh, of course all right so then let's start with this is always my first question here where did you where did you grow up in Jamaica and what actually attracted you to music in the first place? I grew up in Kingston, Jamaica and above rocks. <clears throat> my first my first nine years was Kingston and then the rest of it was above rocks. What attracted me to music? I was never attracted to music. Music attracted itself to me. I, I can't say that I had any attraction. It was just something that was so organic. That it's never like one day I say I'm gonna I'm gonna sing or whatsoever. I was just doing it from I know myself. So it <clears throat> I was singing and dancing. I know nothing, nothing like I I know of my I don't know of my existence without me singing or dancing. So I can't say I was attracted to it. I always tell everybody that I never choose music. Music chose me. And just like how my life is now being executed, I'm just like okay, music. I'll I, I release and I go and I'll let you. <laughs> I hear you. Okay. Cause I know you, you love to dance and you love to sing. Which one do you discover first? And was it dancing or the singing? Both simultaneously. I just got in trouble more, more for my, my dancing. Like, you know, the can't, people can't find me. Granny can't find me. I'm in front of a jukebox. Uh, why not myself? Mission. I do them dance. Like, you know, Christian granny and everything. I just, I guess I was a little bit too good. I did it too good. So my granny used to worry because she was like, oh, my God, here am I trying to bring out this nice young lady, but she's able to execute these dances. But the thing about it, I could execute all kind of dancing. Because I look on TV and say ballet and execute that move. Also, I was just really like into, I was into dancing so much. I really thought I would have been like a ballerina or something when I was younger. I just ended up being a dancer, a bubbler. I don't mind at all. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I get you. I hear you 100%. So what actually led up 
to um, the Tasty competition because if a lot of people don't know, you were the first person to actually win the competition. So what led I'm up? I'm the first person who won. What led up is that I was always singing in the community, singing left, right, and center, and uh, singing from, as I said before, from I know myself, like my mother would be like, even at church, it's like, she can't sing it, and I'm always singing. So singing around a community of Above Rocks and Horace Martin, he entered... Um, the, the, I entered the July and it's like every quarterly they would have it. So I guess he entered the April, April, May, June, July, the April. And I don't remember what, but he entered the TC talent contest before that, that thing, that, um, season anyone. So he looked at me and say, you know, there's one coming up, go and enter. And I entered and I won. And then there was a grand finals and, uh, I won the grand finals at, you know, I was young. I'm, I was a baby girl. I thought I was doing an interpretation of Tina Turner, Buckingham Palace. Um, Tina Turner singing Peter Tosh's Buckingham Palace. Um, I never knew that Buckingham Palace was basically saying that I got smoke spliff in a Buckingham Palace. I never have them even since the, the, the rhythm, they just sweet. I'm just like, love Peter Tosh, sit on the rhythm. So, I say, yeah, my mega and mega just sing um, Buckingham Palace while I dance like Tina Turner. And that <laughs> I dance Tina Turner and sing Buckingham Palace. And here I am years after. So I guess I did okay. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would definitely, definitely say so. Because again, you being in this business now for 41 years is a long time. So clearly you did something okay. And that's what we're yeah. trying to figure out. What was it that you did okay? So you did the competition. The competition did good. You came out the um, the winner, the very first winner. All right? Very first winner, yes. Question before we even go into anything further. Than that, is your name really Nadine Sutherland? Or did you, is that's that an assumed stage name? That was my name, Nadine Sutherland. I, you know, for many, many years, I said, I wish I had another name like Zofique or something for stages. Like, no, <laughs> I could basically live a private life, but that's my name that I was given. And that's my, the name. And yeah. How come you never adopted a stage name or anything like that? Mumanads. I wanted to later on, actually, I wanted to tell everybody that I wanted to be a mom and ads, but they were like, it would age me. I'm like, I've never been a person who I my age. I'm st a strange cat, you know, because I'm like, I like the word mama, you know, and they're like, no. I say everybody know my age already. Google me and know my age. So, you know, everybody know that I'm not in my 20s, but it was not a good idea for anybody when I said I want to become mom and ads. They shrugged it off. Yeah, and just left. That was silly. Okay, because that's what I wanted to know. It's like, okay, did you change your name or because you were a child at that time there, you just entered no. on your real name and then music just swept you away from their type that's of That's my real name. That's my real name. Nadine Sutherland is definitely my real name. Yeah, okay. So then now you won the competition and this was 79, okay? Mm -hmm. What was the next move after winning the competition? What the next move after was... Um, <clears throat> <clears throat> a prize at Bob Marley Studio. It was the first prize was a recording con recording contract, and I remember vividly like days after one, we went to Tough Gang Studios. Was greeted with actually Darren Jobson because she was the one who came to me, and you know she I guess I'm saying look a girl from Tasty because back in the days in Jamaica there wasn't a lot of press. You know it's an island. It's not like right now where technology is so rampant. 
Robert and Crew had two radio stations and two newspapers, the Daily News and the Gleaner. So TC was the big thing, mm-hmm. big, 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 big thing. So by the time <clears throat> I went to Tough Gang, um, I guess they gave us a date to come. I don't remember because my father was doing all of that. And I remember vividly that we spoke to someone. They went and they got Diane and Diane came out all excitedly. And then the next thing I knew, I was like, Bob, so like a girl here, yeah, I win the talent contest. And there he was. I never forgot that day. Isn't it something else? Today is February the 1st, reggae month. And I know they're going to have a celebration for the king himself on Saturday, February the 6th, his birthday. And there he was, sparkling. I always said to people, he looked so healthy, gleaming skin extremely beautiful smile and if you look at pictures of bob you could see that smile i remember vividly was in dark denim he was in a dark denim shirt and a dark denim pants Mm -hmm. and uh, it was just he was just beautiful i guess that when you look at it you know when i'm always like rehashing that memory because it's something that i don't want to erase from my mind so i always think about it so it can keep fresh and I just remember him and I never forget that day. And I, I know exactly where at Tough Gong that I met him. And yeah. Do you? Yeah, do you that know? was Bob. And then after that was my recording of Starvation on the Land. There I was, ushered straight in, in the music did industry. You know, did you know this was Bob Marley or the magnitude to who he was at that time there yet? Not at all. I was an 11-year-old kid. All I could think about is 11-year-old starting first form at St. Andrew High School for Girls. At that point, you just really want to be a cool cat, you know? You're just starting your high school life. I mean, the magnitude of his superstardom, you know, as a little girl, you know, who would know that? I wasn't even thinking about that. But like now, as an adult and as a woman and understanding just the magnitude of this man and his importance in the world, his importance not only in reggae music, but in the world as a prophet, as a... um, probably one of the most popular human being to have walked this earth, you know, and to know that, you know, I was associated with him just a fleeting moment of my life is something I am beyond. I mean, sometimes I'm in disbelief and I still pinch myself and I'm like, this happened to you, girl, this happened to you. You have had this experience. And, you know, it's the funniest thing that um, I never spoke about it a lot. And uh, like my Nadine Fortier came up last year and I just started to speak. I started to like speak about my legacy and how Bob played a part in it and how I met him and everything. And it's just been amazing to know that I've had that experience. For sure. Because um, as you said, you won the contest. It took you to Tough Gang. Tough Gang, you met Bob Marley. You recorded Starvation on the Land. Okay. Yes. At the studio. What did that do for your career as a child star this time here now? As a child star, well, I was just propelled to fame, I guess, <laughs> after TC. Um, I never knew until after that the song was actually, some people thought I was being political. That was very scary. And I'm glad I learned about that when I was a big woman, because I don't know how I would fathom and process that as a child. And then I'm looking at it and I'm like, you know, adults are always crazy. An 11-year-old kid, 11, 12-year-old kid. How would I know that it is anti-government? They wrote a song for me was Rastaman and you know they are resistance to society their whole thing is resistance and speaking about um, injustices and in, in, um, inequalities and I'm like I'm just you know when, when somebody when I realized that people actually thought that then I'm real I can understand Q, oh, you know, Q and on right now 
yeah, how silly people are. I know they can't create stuff. <laughs> because what would an 11 year old really know? You're just exactly. You're happy exactly. to hear yourself on the radio. What was it like hearing yourself on the radio or wherever you heard yourself for the first time? Initially, it was exciting, but I, you know, I, it's funny saying that's why I always say music chose me. I'm never excited a person about stardom or hearing myself on the radio. No, I, I, for me, I think I am more preoccupied of being a good artist than a famous artist. Mm-hmm. I am famous. I'm not going to lie about that. But my preoccupation always is with what I'm putting out, the quality. That's what I get preoccupied with. That is good and that people, my singing is on point. Even now, I get obsessed with one line in the studio and I'm like, you know, you have to do it over again. So it wasn't really anything like, I mean, you know, it's just, I was never a person extremely enamored with fame. I'm enamored with success. And those are two distinct stuff, two distinct thing on, um, I guess in my, um, occupation or choosing occupation, fame and success is basically something that goes hand in hand. And it took me a while to even assimilate that because sometimes I don't like fame, but I like to be successful. You know, I want to have number one songs, but, and all of that, but Hey, success with quality, I should say. You know what? I understand that 100% because as you said, fame and success is not generally the exact same thing. Not always. It's not always. A lot of famous people are broke. You know, a lot of famous people are not successful at all because you can, um, and in these days you can buy fame. Fame can be bought and it don't necessarily mean that you're successful. You know, you put out a record, you get a PR, you're in the newspaper one or two times. Some, some people think that they're famous being in the newspaper one and two times. It's so funny, you know, in terms of the relativity, or how relativity is and how people view fame. I've seen people you know, do stuff like that and they think that they're some big star and they're not successful at all. You know, but they can show their grandmother and their grandmother would think they're famous. <laughs> You're right there. So when you had this song now, Starvation on the Land, did your friends around you know it was you and how did they start to act towards you at that time there? Yeah, I guess they all knew who I was. I as I tell you before, I was not so anymore. I was a little bit naive. And you look at an eleven or a quick kid, they can't process anything. You know life changed, but you don't have the vocabulary to even um, narrate your own life. You just see things happening about you and around you. And it's not that I had parents who even they who um, even understood how to deal with me at that point because they're busy accepting what is happening and feeling good about you know all of that. So you did see people change. Um, you did see people started treating you differently. But I think the scariest part about it, as we speak about adults, is adults actually looking at a kid and uh, slandering a child or, you know, you know, it, there were wonderful moments. I'm not going to say that they're not, you know, and I'm not zoning in on the negative. I'm just zoning in on re- a reality that you have to face. Because, listen, I- <laughs> Honey, child, I'm at Bob Marley. Honey, child, come on, you know? So we're not speaking or zoning in on the negative. I just want people to put things in context in terms of what happens to a little girl 
who basically don't have any life experience seeing all of this, people enamored about the realities of what is happening around you because this is just becoming, you don't have enough life experience. And, you know, adults know, <laughs> adults know trying to rip you in pieces because you're famous. So, you know, so th th there's a lot of stuff that I, could, I just could not process. I would say that I really could not process fame. And so that's why I even understand Michael Jackson in a, in a lot of ways, you know? Because especially as a child, because it's like he went from being 10 to being a superstar. There was exactly. No and then the whole reality, I mean, Jamaica is just like ping compared to his big world, what he was exposed to and the stuff that he had to deal with. You know, Jamaica... Still, you know, it, it's I, I in terms of what Michael Jackson would have gone through, I probably went through five percent mm -hmm. in terms of the context of reggae to pop, you know. And he put it in the big thing and just see what he has been through. And I, I sometimes just like, you know, have a lot of compassion for him, and just to see how he died and you know the stuff that happened to him, I, I felt him so deeply. In his last years, I was feeling him so deeply and just feeling wishing that I could have could have spoken to him I said, I understand dude understand but didn't go that way all right so then now you're here you're doing you're getting all this attention so then now you put out your first song did you guys actually record an album or it was a single deal what was the deal with Tough Gang? it wasn't supposed to be an album but what happened we started with Starvation on the Land and then a young one like me and the intention was that Bob was gonna sign all of his artists, the polygram, you know, but what happened is that Bob transitioned, Bob transitioned very early into my career. Bob transitioned in 1981. And my first song was re released in 1980 that he engineered and he started. Then the second song, a young one like me. So everything stopped. 1981 is one of the most saddest moment. Not, I, I was sad. I didn't know Bob enough. But sad because here's an institution that I stepped into that everybody draw breaks. Nobody could function for a while. I used to go to Tough Gang and I felt eerie because it was almost like the walls were crying. The walls were mourning the life that was one there. You know, go to Tough Gang and Bob Dede and people from all over the world. The life that was once there. Oh my God, it was surreal, surreal and uh, that album that I was supposed to work on and to put out just never materialized until I think, yeah, the album was called Until. I did a song called Until that did pretty well. I think I was 15 and that's when my, my album Until was put out. Okay, so there was like a three or four year lull? Right, I would say three or four year. When Mrs. Marley now, you know, I guess she went through somewhat of the grieving process and was able to find something within herself and just started Rita Marley music there and, you know, finished the album that was, um, that was part of the plans for me. So she finished the album and yeah. And what yeah. did that album do for your career right there? Then now that I don't think, I don't even know. I guess like, it's just a com compilation of song. I never, I was signed to Shanarchy. I remember, but I don't know if anybody really zoned in on that album, but it was a good album, you know, mm -hmm. good album. Yeah. Because I know by the time your second, your album came out, your voice had changed. You had a different voice on Starvation on the Land. By you became 15, your voice had changed. At totally this time. and utterly changed. 
you know, you grow, so your voice changed. Because foundation on the lady, I am one like me. You know, and I listened to it, I was like, oh my God, that's me. So my voice totally and utterly changed when until came about. And that was the tone that I, you know, I hear now because, you know, I guess you mature into a woman or maturing into womanhood. So it has, even now, like it's for me, like the other day I did this song and I was like, oh my God, my voice has even grown more. Thank God I didn't abuse it, you know? And I'm like, it's, it's just even grown. So your voice do grow with you, you know? For sure. I agree 100%. You can kill it. You can kill that talent, you know, if you abuse your voice with smoking and all of that. Mm -hmm. Agree 110%. So, okay, as a child, now you're a child. What was it like going from that child to that teenager, but still in the music industry? Was that the weird period for you or what was that like? Well, yeah, it's, it, it was kind of weird for me because you're famous and then... All of it, you, you, you're changing, your body changing, and you're changing in publicly. You're changing, you're putting on weight like every teenage girl. And I guess some people expect you to look like a child or they try to keep you in that kind of childish thing because they're like, cannot accept that you are growing up into womanhood. So it was a very weird time for me psychologically. You know, I never knew what to do with myself. And, you know, you, my parents had to protect me extra because, you know, I was famous. So when other girls were dating and all of that, you know, my, I had this conversation with my friend this morning and she's like, you know, the funniest thing, people will other you. You know, it's like, yeah, I, there's a thing in academia called othering. And she's like, people other you, but you are a normal person, but they're like this celebrity. You're a celebrity and they, they just have this kind of mindset when they come on to fame. You know, so all of that, all of those dynamics were happening while I am trying to ascertain my way as a young woman, you know, dealing with fame and just like not, you know, growing up your body changing and you're changing. So it was weird, like for any teenage girl, the only, the big difference is that mine was public. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Make, makes sense. So I guess you were, extra sheltered at this time so when did you very actually, extra sheltered yes very sheltered when did you, so when did you break out and say okay let me try to find my own way at this time i don't know if there is any moment of me saying it's my turn the way <laughs> <Don't know. laughs> i'm not too sure i think probably you know like i know i wanted to i don't know I think like I went to exit and then, you know, I think I moved out of my parents' house at one point. I moved out of my parents' house because I felt it was too, I guess I felt, you know, a little bit confined and wanted some freedom. I moved out at a very pretty young age. You know, I think I was 20, 21. I was living by myself. I remember that distinctly. Um, I don't know if I got my voice then. You know, I was running up and down trying to get my voice, trying to, I started doing, I didn't even know what I was doing. I started going to um, extramural, saying I'm going back to school. Then I started, I guess, you know, as I said before, music chose me because I don't know how I ended up at Gussie and started singing background vocals. My first background vocals, though, I have to um, go back to that, was with Peter Tosh when I was 16 or 17, one of those age. I'm not too sure. I was in, at sixth form at St. Andrew High School for girls. So I was either 16 or either 17. Mm -hmm. I was in sixth commercial when I did background vocals for Peter. So I don't know if it, because of that, 
um, people thought I could do background vocals. So there's a time I was just like this, one of the studio girls, you know, when you hear, listen, like this reggae month, they're playing a lot of Dennis. I did a lot of work when he was at music work with Dennis, but I think the one that I think stood out the most is the one with Gregor Isaac and Dennis Ragamuffin. And I always hear my hair distinctly. I always hear myself distinctly. You run things here. And you run things everybody. Ragamuffin, muffin, 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 muffin. So I always hear myself and go, wow, those days. I, 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 sang, on, I sang on Shabba Project. I just sang on Maxi Priest's project. I sang, Daddy, did I hear a garnet stick? I said, did I sing on that? Like I sang on so many songs that I don't even remember. We just was hopping from studio to studio to studio. So, okay. At this time here, because you said you met um, Peter Tosh after, because I guess when you first met Bob Marley, the Whalers had broken up at that time there. So you hadn't met. Whalers never broke up. The Whalers Whalers with Peter, Bonnie, and Bob. When I met Bob, Bob was a solo star. But in terms of the Whalers, the band, that was back in Bob. They never broke up. They were mm-hmm. still, I think they were still playing around the world. I don't know what happened. I hear something happened with some members leaving. I never really paid much attention to that. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Okay. So then you hadn't meet, you didn't meet Peter, Peter. Or at this time here now. No, I met Peter after Bob transitioned and he asked me to come and sing on Nuclear War album. <laughs> I have to tell this story because this is such a beautiful story. Peter went to my father and mm-hmm. asked Mr. Sutherland, can Nadine come and sing on my album, Nuclear War? Okay, okay, okay. Listen, then chat out. Can I tell you about Peter Tosh? You know, but you see me? Mm-hmm. In my head, Peter Tosh is one of the most beautiful human beings. I remember being so nervous at that session. My legs were shaking. I was nervous because I, the only time I sing background vocals so far was with Miss Daisy down in Above Rock singing at church, the blood that Jesus shed for me way back on Calvary. I was a, I was an altar, and one was a tenor, and one was a soprano. I was like, I lick a picnic, come, I could have hold my harmony. I could have hold my harmony good. But in a professional setting, that was the first thing, first time that I was doing anything like that, and I was extremely intimidated, and Peter Touch was so gentle with me. And it's something that I will never forget. So when I hear, I know Samir said Peter, the original road boy, you know. And I don't think he was a road boy. He was a rebel because there's a distinction, you know. He would not, um, I don't think he harmed anyone. But I think that when it come on to his rights, you know, he will fight for his rights. And fighting for his rights looked like he got beaten up many times by the police, thrown in jail and all of that. But Anybody who know Peter Tosh will tell you one thing, what a beautiful human being he was. Anybody who really knows him and knew him and worked with Peter will tell you he was kind, he was good, he paid. He was a good person. Yeah. And how long you know? did you how long did you actually work with him for? I just worked with him on one project, which was nuclear war. The the thing about it is that he wanted us, me, JC, and Pam Hall to tour with him. Um, nuclear War album. There was something, some friction that happened with him and his record company. So by the time we recorded it, it was not released when it was scheduled to release. It was supposed to, I think it was in three years after it was released. 
and he wanted to tour the album and me pam and um jc was supposed to tour with him he asked us and actually we were supposed to be called the archangel yeah the archangels okay Okay. that i know easy and we i was in new york i was in new york i remember distinctly i was i think i was 20 Mm-hmm. And in New York, waiting on the call to come and rehearse. I was leaving New York to come to rehearse. It was September. There's a year that my auntie Dale got married because I went to the wedding. I was like, okay, the next thing now is go back to Jamaica to rehearse with the crew to go on the road with Peter. And uh, all I could hear was that Peter Tosh got, got killed. Peter Tosh died. I couldn't leave my bed for one day. I just stayed at the bed. It was just so, I was so stunned. Yeah. What's, what's so crazy with your career? Remember, at this time, you said you were 20? I think I was 20, yeah. Okay. You I lose, sometimes I lose singer. I, I've done so much, like speaking about myself these last year, mm-hmm. this last um, year, speaking about my past, mm-hmm. I, 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 I'm even like amazed at the amount of stuff that I've done because <laughs> just ridiculous because look at it this way now at uh say 12 13 you lost bob a couple years down the road you lost peter it's like how did you feel how did this make you feel knowing that you've lost two extremely instrumental people in your career at this time so early i don't even know i've never really gotten the chance to process it you know i the funniest thing like I processed something like this when Bob and the dead last year. And I was like, I was about to go see Bob. And I'm like, I started humming to myself, good friends we had, good friends we have lost along the way. Just thinking about people in the music industry that I've lost along the way that I've I've known, not even in my family. I've lost more people that I know in the music industry. Fatis Burrell that I, I've worked with extensively, Bobby Digital, you know, recently, Bob Andy recently. And I'm like, damn, girl, you've been to a lot of funerals. You know? I just like, I have a, it's just so many people that I've known that I have that just go, mm-hmm. you know, Garnet, you know, people Wait, that I- you know you work with and, you know, you end up a burden in some way, you know, and then they just die co-workers it's it's very interesting the life that you live because again as i said by 20 bob died peter died okay so you're still working at gussie clark you're doing the background vocals so between there how did you get to penthouse now i got to penthouse because again me miss adventurous took my money go england so i got audition for soul to soul i met some virgin some virgin um executives and they suggested that I come to England and audition for so So I paid my way, got my money, and I paid my way to England. Oh God, I wish, I, you know, I miss that girl. I miss that girl that filled, was filled with adventure. I go and I audition, got a part. Don Taylor and Erskine Thompson, they're both dead. They hate <laughs> 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 I mean, not the one he hated mad. So the deal didn't work through. But I was doing demos. They were, you know, they started um, directing me to a more Whitney Houston kind of um, trajectory. And then Erskine said, go back home. 
and do some dance hall. And it, you know, action was actually a demo for um for me. And then that's when I started working with Pentos during that time. Started ooh, ooh, and just started doing records. And yeah, just got myself assimilated in the dance hall through my records at that time. So action was your first dance hall song at that time there? Uh, I think I don't remember the I don't remember the sequence. I know I did Wicked and Wild. Um, I don't remember the sequence of if Wicked and Wild was released before action. I think Wicked Dicky was that released before action. Or, I, mean, I don't remember. But in those time, I was recording a lot of dancehall songs. And this is all of your songs at, up to this point here. The dancehall ones were all for Penthouse. I know, man. I exterminate a baby face. Um, I don't know. I mean, that whole time. It's not as a it's not a haze, but I knew I'd, I know Babyface was recorded over Fifty Six. I don't think it Fifty Six Old Hope Road because at that point, Music Works and Pentos probably that's how I got with Jeremy Musical Music Works that I was doing a lot of background vocals with, and Pentos were in the same building. You see what I'm saying? And I was going to England simultaneously. I was doing background vocals and I go to England, go audition for like a three months and come back home. So it's all, I can't, re- that's why I say, I can't tell you. I know distinctly that Erskine was the one who organized to do um, action. I probably have to go with, um, talk to Jermaine to see how that go. But I also started working for Gussie. I started doing some reggae songs. Hey, can't you see the gossip at that time? Love me a little more. So because of the, as I said before, the close proximity of those two buildings, mm-hmm. they were very close to each other. That's what got you in the building there. Yeah, that, I was in the building. So, yeah. <laughs> I want to dive into action here because to me, action was your real international breakout where it started to bubble on the dancehall seat and then it got the breakout. How did you and Tara Fabulous connect to do that song in the first place? It was through Dave. It was Erskine who set it up. And then I went in and I did the vocals. And um, that's how I, when we, when I did action, it's the first time I met Tara. Um, Tara was Dave, Dave artist at that time. Mm-hmm. Dave Kelly. Terra Fabus was one of his artists, so I guess he was just busy trying to bust Terra, you know. And Terra started making a name for himself, you know, with some dancehall hits. And he basically, Dave was trying to, well, not bust him, did Terra bust, but make him bigger, I should say, enlarge his space, (laughs) enlarge his space. So that's really what happened. Makes sense. And I guess you met Dave Kelly from being over at Penthouse. I met Dave Kelly. No, I met Dave Kelly when he was at Tough Gong because Tony Kelly worked at Tough Gong with Mrs. Marley as um, he was being taught by Errol Brown or something or another. And then Tony brought in Dave. So I knew Dave fleetingly from him working at Tough Gong. Until he became part of um, Jermaine's young cadre of engineer before he went on and had Maddox by himself. So I met him very early on in very early on in his career. Never amazing, amazing history, right? 
never knew about the tough gun connection at all. That's, that's yeah. interesting. Wow. Okay. Another big, big song that you did, but this one, I know that there's two different versions. The um, Wicked Dicky. I know that you recorded, there's actually, you recorded as a solo and Boozer recorded mm-hmm. as a solo. And then one day it just showed up as two of them in one. What happened? Oh, with honey, that child. oh honey, child. That's a story in itself. I had no idea that happened. None whatsoever. I think I went to England and that's when I found out a man beat me and a man nearly trace. In our record store, nearly twist my youth. Come here, run down the man and tell the man, say, I have no song with Bujo. And the man said, My girl, you have a song with Bujo. And I'm like, I have no song with Bujo. That time is too shit Man say, I have a song with me. I have no song with Bujo, boss. I have no song with Bujo, yo. And the man said, Hear your song. And he just played. I heard, ooh, ooh, ooh. And I can sing a number one, you know, because I look on the chart, the man says, See a number one song, yeah. Nadine Sutherland and Bujo Banta number one. And that is when I found out when the man um, played for me. Not that I mean, it was number one, but still, it was a way to find out, right? <laughs> and that was the first time that you and Bujo had any musical connection at that time there? Yeah, well, I, I can't say we had a connection because I wasn't in the studio with him, but... Bujo and I did something together, which I wouldn't mind because, you know, he's amazing. Mm-hmm. Penthouse days. That was crazy there. And because I know another time you and Bujo met again was for um another song called, uh, what was the song called? I'm going blank here. What was the next song you did with Bujo? You guys what even- I'm going to do if you break my heart, be unsure you would have taken apart. What I'm going to do. Yeah, I love that song. Yes. How did that come up? Um, I was working with um, Jermaine and it just like do a song with Bujo and we did. I got that hook. They, he gave me the rhythm. I got that hook and then Bujo put on his part. 50-50. Just like that? Yeah. Wow. Big, big there. Another one that you did. Again, this was, I know it was a feature and then it turned into a remix. The gigantic, gigantic, gigantic anything for you with snow well you know it's a funny thing how i have just like you know is a part of classic music music that have become classics and that it was anything for you was a solo with me and snow was a duet and then karen mason who is just this marketing genius she said let's do a remix and we did a remix and it totally and utterly smashed the place I don't think anybody expected the enormity of it. I mean, it was so huge. I don't think it was a big pop hit, but it was a huge hit. Like it just like disseminated the place and it was awesome. Mm-hmm. And how did you guys put together all those acts? Because this is Bojo, Beanie, Louis Culture, Culture. One take. <clears throat> and it's something that I'm extremely proud of. And I'm always boasting to people about the level of talent we did a video and they recorded at the same time. Man write them lyrics right on spot. It was Karen who basically thought of who she wanted to be on it. Mm. But just to think how smart these men are, how talented they are, that them on spot. Them just write and were recorded. Amazing. Amazing. Still is something that amazes me up to this day when I think about it. 
Mm-hmm. Because the only thing, the only person I really feel sorry for in that song would have been um Culture Knox. Okay, even on the video, he just seems his part just seems to get faded out the quickest when they're playing. Always does. And is it being part tough enough? It's all about love, love. Theme part tough. But unless you have the time to really go down, you know, it, it, I really think it's a tragedy because it's sometimes, sometimes you say that they play through. I say culture knocks. Then put him right at the end. But let me tell you, man, he never play with the part there at all. Mm-hmm. He, his part, you have to st- stood up. In part, not pop down, it's stand up. Mm-hmm. Incredible. All 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 of the parts stand up. Yeah. Classic, 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 classic right there. Even how did you connect with Snow in the first place? Because I was signed to Electra and uh, he was signed to Electra at the same time. So that's what happened. And you know, his song Informa basically I think Informa was before action, was a hit before action. And he was working on his second album now. And I was working on my first album and to get me through the gate, they thought it would have been a good idea. Okay, so you actually got signed to Electra. Yes, I was signed to Electra. How did that deal work out? How did you even get that deal in the first place? Through action. After Action became a big hit, they signed me and we worked on an album that was not released. Yeah. It, what happened to it? It was just one of those deals or what happened to the album? What happened is that they dropped the whole reggae dance hall department at that point. So they, my, my, my album was part of all of that. Mm. It was a painful time. Painful. You've got... Again, this is the knowns. Bob Marley died. Peter Tosh died. You were signed to a lecture. You got the, the album got didn't come out. You got to soul to soul, but the two guys couldn't get along. These are four major things that happened in your, in your career so far. Okay. Electra now. The deal fell through. What was your next move from there after it fallen through? No, the deal didn't fell through. They 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 it wasn't a thing. This wasn't a Nadine Sutherland problem. Mm-hmm. was a problem, I think, that's something with the head of Electra and some other people. So basically, I think everything that she was working on was dropped. So it's, it wasn't me, my deal fell through. I just suffered because of that. Mm-hmm. Got it? Um, yeah. What was the next move I do? I just kept on recording. I guess I just kept on recording. Mm-hmm. Just kept on recording. And was this all before Babyface when you got to uh, Fatis for Exterminator? Yeah, man. Uh, no, Electra was after. That was post all of that. Mm-hmm. Okay. I didn't even realize that because even, let's talk about things there. Fatis, how did you get to Exterminator to create that monster hit? I don't even know. <laughs> is, it, is it like, how did I meet Fatis? Fatis came in all of that time. Mm-hmm. All of that time with um, <clears throat> Penthouse and Slipe Road. I don't know. Must say, did Erskine introduce me to Fatis? I can't even tell you the trajectory of that and how that happened. Mm-hmm. I really can't. If for me to say that to you, I will be like, I can't say that to you. Mm-hmm. As it's so many memories, but I don't remember how I met Fatis. I know that I had some great time with Fatis and musically Fatis was very supportive of me. Oh, the other day, me or somebody sing a Nadine Sola. I said, oh, you know the song there? I won't plead and beg you, baby. I'm tired of this. 
I'm serious, bubble and quiet time and all those fattest songs that I did, the extermina days that people still talk about them. Quiet time and the Java rhythm. So it's just like a song beautiful and I was able to sing, you know. I'm serious, this time I'm serious that I was like blow. Long time in I heard a tune there. You understand. How did you come up with Babyface? I don't know. <laughs> so I'm wondering about, I was actually going out with a guy at that time when I wrote Babyface. I'm wondering if it's him. And then I said to myself, but I wasn't really seriously in love with him, but I don't know if he inspired. I tell everybody that he inspired it, but I'm unsure if he inspired it. I know I was listening to a lot of Whitney Houston. I was, my head was into so much R&B at that time. You know, we're getting stronger, stronger every day. You listen to my singing, even though when I sing, I saw R&B influence because I love those big R&B singers with their range and how they sang. So they were, I was heavily into Whitney. Like I loved her into Shirley Murdoch, into Anita Baker. You know, that time R&B was R&B. It's not, I don't know what is, if what them call R&B, no. But remember at that time, it's, Almost every week there was a new singer, Lisa Fisher. How can I ease the pain when I'm gone? And I used to be just singing, listening, and just like impressed with their singing, you know. Now I'm finding myself, I'm going back to being impressed. I'm like Gaga over Gaga right now. But then, oh my God, I was obsessed. So it came, a lot of it came out in Babyface. A lot of it came out in a lot of songs and I listen back, you know, some people said I sounded very R&B-ish, you know, and, uh, but I listened, I was just absorbing, you know, my roots of reggae music and Rasta, more Rasta reggae music and dancehall and uh, then no uh, R&B just gel together. And that was a time when you heard Babyface and I'm in love, I can see the rainbow. So my writing was extremely that kind of balladeer kind of thing. Drop and dance already. <laughs> I think that, that, I don't know. So that's how Babyface came out. Definitely. Another another project that you worked on with Fatis was um, Pair of Wings. I heard this song was originally a tribute for Garnet Silk. How did this come around? This song was written when my brother died, but I couldn't finish it. I could not finish it. All I had was wherever you are in heaven. That's all I had. Tell God I said you could be an angel. And then Garnet Silk died. And the song was just fleshed out. And I remember I said, I have a song. And Fatish just took me in the studio with Bowie and Dean. We did a song. And trust me, I don't think anybody, big man about me about Cause it was just so, I was just so, cry I was crying. And I remember Dean just looking at me and him just like, can't move, fatties. It was just like, and then it was just released to radio. And when it was released to radio, it just like, Jamaica silenced. <laughs> Jamaica was silenced when that song was released. It's a pity that they don't play it as much as they should. Cause that's an incredible song to me. Definitely big, big, big song there. As I said, I heard that's the story about the Garnet Silk and that song there. Another big song you did for another producer that passed lately was Bobby Digital. I call it I'm in love. I don't know if that's the official name of the song, but that's what I call it. 
people call it rainbow. Mm-hmm. People call it I'm in love. Mm-hmm. I think those two names, but I don't know. I call it both. Mm-hmm. How did you come Ba-na, up with <laughs> How did you come up with that song? There, another classic. Is my is Anthony Rochester and I sat down. I don't know who came up with the hook, but we wrote that song. That was a that was a song both of us wrote. But I don't even know remember who wrote which part. When I look, I said to I said to myself, "For he's the kind of man that pays." Would sound like me, cause at that time I loved to never be a woman. I love those kind of R and B licks, you know. Mm-hmm. So I said to myself, "That that that sound like probably you in on a date." Crazy, crazy, crazy. And again, even with somebody like, I guess, like Bobby Digital, he was just another producer you met along the way with Fatis, um, Dave Kelly. He was just in that bunch that you had met also? Yeah. Yeah. He was after, yeah, in that bunch, all that, in that time working with Bobby. Mm-hmm. Like peace and progress to his spirit. What was yeah. it like working with somebody like Bobby Digital? All of those men were respectful and loving towards me, and I will never, ever forget them. I'll never for- forget that time, the love, the camaraderie, the support. Those men were just like good men. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about sexual harassment and all of that. I never experienced that. But then somebody explained to me that, you know, I was a child star with Bob hovering around me. And then they knew my father, who was a roots man. So a lot of time they saw me, they, I was with my father. So I had two men, both in the physical and both in the spirit, that I felt that, you know, was protecting me. My father was a force to be reckoned with. And anybody who thought about it, first and foremost, when I was younger, you couldn't touch me because my father was the rest with the last. Okay, I call him the rest with the last. You see, you know, them minus a little daughter, and then I watched the manga for right. But daddy, I watched them with the last and said, trouble my picnic, y'all gonna get dismembered, and me I gonna go jail. So they didn't touch. Oh, I'm sorry. They didn't touch. And, you know, that, that energy protected me as I went through the music industry. I can't say anybody that I had to pay for anything or whatever. I, nothing like that happened in my life. You know, nothing like that happened. It's, it will, I don't know if they had secret love for me, but nothing not like that happened. So it is what it is. Yeah, because the trick with you, even all your albums, all the work you put out, you were always, your appeal was always sultry. It was never, here I am in your face. It was always a sultry. Yeah, I don't believe, right. No, that's the thing is, I am not against anybody with that kind of expression of sexuality. But people ask me, listen to me, I'm a lady soft fan. Oh, come on. Nobody can skin it up on the red. I skin it up on the red. When I'm ready for dance, I'm going. But I never felt, (laughs) I never felt it was me. The truth, I, I try to present myself always from an authentic space. I never felt it was me. So I never felt like ultra ex, um, sexuality. I felt that my talent would speak for itself. And, and, um, and I don't think I had the confidence enough to, to, to skin out and wear um, tight up clothes. I wish I did. I did wear tight up clothes and sexy clothes, but nothing that was, oh, I, I just never had, I just never had that in my personality. It's just when people ask us, like, I just never had it in my personality. I don't know. 
Yeah, you never came across as that type of person. It was always a regal type of feel, a sultry type of feel, uh, more mature than your age when you're in your 20s type of feel. That type of, it was always that type of thing for, for you, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you understand. Well, I understand. You... Probably in my head, I had my granny who was saying, no, she and me, no, she and me, no. Do anything, but no, she and me. I don't know if that contributed to it. <laughs> well, you understand, grandma's always holding it down. How come you never f- decided to ras and lax up here and say Celestia and stuff? Like, because you were, that was your path right from the beginning. You know, I, I have such a reverence for Rastafari and my heart wasn't a hundred percent that I could not do something like that. Cause it would be so inauthentic. That was before people started wearing the hairstyle, mm-hmm. you know, which now become just like a representation of a person wanting, you just want to be natural. It has no philosophical um, strings attached to it. But then I was like, I don't feel that way. You know, it's like, I never felt, and I'm so Rasta. I mean, even when I don't dread, a lot of people's like, you know, you're very Rasta in a lot of stuff that you do or you speak. Sometimes when you carry yourself, you know, you're always just like, my hair most of the time is a natural hairdo, you know. I'm not into big old weeds. Sometimes I've tried it, but, you know, I always say, and that's like, that's my Rasta background. That's, you know, I grew very Pan-Africanist. My father was a Manuel Rootsman and Marcus Garvey man and him something and the Rasta teachings, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I, I just so much rest. There's so much rest of fire in me. And sometimes I'm like, you know, that's his rasta, you know, but you can't be around something and it don't impact your life one way or the other. But I never really wanted to do anything that would have been inauthentic. Grow locks for what? Unless I truly believe in it. Probably. I don't know if I would grow locks now, but I didn't want nobody to think that, you know, I'm rasta when I wasn't, you know, embracing the whole totality of it. And what that hairstyle represented. Makes sense. Because that's what I always wonder. Because I heard you spoke about the Rast with the last Bob Marley. and you. Yeah, man. Very, 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 very Rast oriented. Extremely. I love my Rasta past. I love my Rasta influence. And I claim it in many, many ways. My song, In My Blood, basically speak about, um, you know, Rastafari in that term. But Rastafari is in me. Very much in me. Definitely agree with you on that one there. You having a 41-year career, okay? What would you say was the highest point in your career and the lowest point that you felt in your career? I I mean, I've had so many high points in my career in different moments. The lowest part, I think, was when I was being rumored that I was on drugs. I was on crack, and I think people, I guess they believed it. I mean, there was no social media for me to defend myself and it just disseminated in a way that, I don't know, some um, some people still think that way actually about me, which I can't say I don't care because it really was is a painful thing to do. I think more than anything else, why it hurt me is that it was untrue. You know, it was nothing that was a part of my life or I ever want to be a part of my life. But I was young. I was, you know, at the top of my game. And I think in some sense, it's, it's somewhat even um, took away time from my, 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 what I could have done at that time because people believed it. And I'm like, one stupid rumor, you fleetingly just hear something and you buy into it. And it, it really hurt me that some people looked like they were happy that they thought that I, that happened in my life. They thought so. And uh, 
um, it's just so, so, it's just silly that somebody would have suffered about something that was not true, and that's what happened to me. So that was the lowest part. How about the highest? Something that you just remember? You said you had many. There are many when action was on top of you know, top of the world. You know, going to places that you know it opened up places that in America that I never thought I would be at. You know, meeting people that even now, like when I met. I think it's John Stewart. And, you know, after like I met John Stewart, you know, I was basically, you know, do, it's just a lot of stuff that you d- I did when action was there. You know, it was mainstream America. Yeah, everybody would want to be on. And I remember doing the Rising Stars in Jamaica. That was, yeah, there were so many high points in my life. So I can't really choose one specifically, you know, meeting Bob, working with Peter. There's so many high points of life that I've had, but <clears throat> can't specific, specifically choose and say which one is the ultimate, but those are high points. Understandable there. You brought up something when there, cause I remember that rumor was like all over the place. And you said this was pre-internet when they said that there was, you were, there was substance abuse. Okay. Where do you think that rumor came from and how did it make you feel not as a superstar, but as the human being. I don't know where it came from. I guess it came from people wanting, it just spread like wildfire. I, I don't even, I can't even fathom where. I can't even fathom where, but I guess I was very, very famous and it was juicy and nice. And it's like, oh, I think I get a, a, a connection. Whitney Houston was in the press. I think after years when I thought about it, I said, this is what happened. Whitney Houston was in the press at that time for substance abuse. Mm-hmm. And I think they wanted a story with some in Jamaica. Like they wanted, you know, I was called a Whitney Houston because of the talent. And I think that's what helped in the mindset. Or I'd look on it because I'm like, how did this happen? When I'm, you know, I'm not even around... Most of the time, if I'm not singing, I'm at my yard. I wasn't a party person or hung around people or whatsoever. You know, people in the music industry, those, you have to hang around everybody. And I'm not a person to judge anyone because it must be something inside that has made someone empty to do that. I'm not that person to judge anyone. I'm not going to say I'm not going to speak to you because of that. You know what? You, the only thing I can say is the Whitney Houston correlation and how that, that was just, that ruled that whole time. And that basically it probably fueled where I was going. Oh, it made me feel, made me feel broken, sad, hurt, destroyed. Um, I felt like my own people turned against me. I, um, I took it on. I took it on and I took it on in a deep way because as I said before, it's not that you had social media at the time. You can come and people see you or whatsoever, you know, so, and you know, and I think also where celebrity culture is concerned, people didn't understood celebrity culture and that rumor mongering is part of it. No, sometimes you hear people defend celebrities because they've grown up with celebrity culture and know that it's part and parcel of what it is all about. Then I don't think that we were sophisticated enough to even understand that. And I think that because I was on top of my game, I wasn't an ugly woman. I was popular and it just disseminated. And I guess some people wish, wish that it was true, wish to see me destroyed. You know, wish the, the the usual story of the Billy Holidays or whatsoever the usual story would be mine. 
and I would be dead or on the street in half a tree begging and they would see me broken, toothless. And she would say, yeah, she once did was a big star city. Drugs destroy. No, I, I have a master's degree, people, so it didn't destroy me. <laughs> I understand. We're about to get to that. It was just because you're probably one of the first people I've actually get to ask this question, especially this is one with hate, especially when you're at the top of your game. I never understood why people would actually hate somebody for a talent that God gave them. They don't really know these people. And just for like no reason, how would you as a person at the top of your game deal with hate coming at you? But you didn't have social media at this time. So it was really, it wasn't as much. How did you deal with that? I didn't deal with it well. At all. It almost destroyed me inside. I didn't deal with it well. I mean, it was, I felt moments that I was just destroyed. I, I wasn't singing from a space. I was walking around in pain. Um, just like I allowed it to get inside of me in a way that basically I, I can't say. I, then a lot of stuff happened in that time. I lost my recording contract with Electra. That happened, I was being rumored that I was on drugs. A lot of stuff happened simultaneously that made me, just weakened me inside. You know, it's two things. You have to deal with the trauma of that. Then you have to deal with people rumoring and slandering you. And you're basically trying to stand from that. And then hear that you're trying to stand from losing a recording deal and move on with your life. And you're moving on. And then this come from left field. And you're just like, for a while, you're just like, your head just can't process stuff or you can't really stand so i'm not i you know, I'm, I'm a first person to tell people that i didn't deal with it very well because it was too much thing coming at me at the same time and uh, you just start you know people who you thought they say you know, it was a wonderful lesson people that you, you thought that would have been there for you them turn against you because you know i guess it go back to what's happening in the, the big stratosphere of whitney houston but also how they view women in jamaica and you look at the villages in jamaica and how they treat the pregnant teenage girl and the wishes a lot that you have a nice girl and she's walking around and she's strong and doing well in school and she gets pregnant and how the same people turn on her you know and and just like make shame her they shame her and make her feel like she's less than. I think it was just like, I was just like, the on a national level, I was that girl in the village that they think that they had something against, which the thing is that it was just one big lie. You know, so they were trying to make me feel bad or trying to make me suffer from something that I just did not do. You know, I'm waiting to see the ramifications of that. Waiting to see, oh my God. To see me really suffer from the ramifications of that and looking for stuff when there is no stuff to substantiate and waiting on the moment that I would be in half a tree. Crash and burn. With no teeth. Begging. <laughs> That's a bit dramatic. I love it. <laughs> it's so funny. Isn't it how dramatic? Did, no teeth in half a tree. How did you I love do, it? How did what did you end up doing to actually fight through this? All of I think I became on. very deeply spiritual. I became very invested in spirituality, reading a lot of spiritual books, you know, getting into African spirituality, getting into Eastern spirituality. I was just reading, you know, getting to new thought and 
just centering myself inside. And I think that's what helped me more than anything else. Disengaging from the music industry for a while, just like get myself together, afraid of people for several years. And But there were loving people, especially um, Winston Meriton Blake, who was basically there and who gently, you know, just supported me throughout all this. And I'll never forget him for that. And I, I'm just get, glad I get the opportunity to speak about his loving care throughout. That there. Okay. So then when you disengaged from the music industry, was this when you decided to go back to school at this time here? I just went to New York for a while and, you know, just never wanted to have anything with Jamaica. Was I recording? Probably come on my record too, stuff. No, I went back to school um, when I did Rising Star, when I was doing Rising Stars. I went back to school. That's when I went back to school and I did a master's. Just recently, I graduated in what? It's 2016 I graduated with a master's, yeah. Yeah. Okay. What made you decide to take the, the master's program? And I feel it was- I always wanted to get back to school. Always wanted to get back to school. Always wanted to study. I wanted to have a degree. And what happened is that um, Sonia, Sonia Naya saw me and Sonja Naya. No, can't call her Sonia. She's like, her name is Sonja. Sonja. I saw N-J-A-H. <laughs> okay. Our Sonja, I hope you see this. And she just told, she told me about it and she said, apply. And I applied and I got in. But she looked at me and said, you applied, you got in. I can't make you stay in. It's up to you. But I wanted it. I wanted to have a master's. I, I couldn't see, you know, I don't have a first degree. I had stuff that I could have done a first degree, like basic 60 and all of that. But in terms of with that program, if you're a music practitioner, they will allow you in to like some undergraduate courses. And if you ace those courses, they promote you. I wanted that master's. I was, I wanted it. I want, I worked my ass off to can I say that? Yeah. Yeah. I wanted it. So I worked my butt off and I got it. And I'm very proud of myself. What did it feel like when you heard your name at graduation and it's your time to get your master's? What did that feel like? Child, I started my stuff. Hey, I was like, yeah, look at me, baby. Woo, woo. I was twerking. No, I didn't twerk. I was a kid. <laughs> oh my God. Phone drop. Mm -hmm. It was very, very good. I felt, you know, after years of work, you feel re rewarded and you do your stuff. Yeah. Crazy. Because you spoke about another moment in time in your, in your career, which was Rising Stars. How long did you do Rising Stars and how did that opportunity even come up in the first place? I was just approached to do Rising Stars. Um, I was back in Jamaica and I was approached actually and to do Rising Stars and I ended up doing it. Um, I ended up going for the audition and got it and here I am several, you know, I don't remember how long I did it. I did Rising Star for several years and then they kicked me off. Me and Clyde are like, go away. So that's what. <laughs> so one of those things, because I'm almost positive. One of the people that was on Rising Stars when you were there was, um, Christopher Martin. Christopher Martin, Romaine Virgo, Sugar, Dalton Harris. That's my time in Rising Star, which I'm extremely proud of. Those are my babies. Those are my Rising Stars babies. I call them my Rising Stars babies. And what's so crazy is you've seen them come up on a game show until they turn into stars themselves, where I've even seen a flyer with you and Christopher Martin performing all that. What's that feeling like? 
he kind of feels surreal. Like, you know, I, I felt so protective towards him, you know, like fast and in business. It's like, he seemed like this skinny kid, so young, you know, wet behind the air, so innocent. I know you see him now, it's just like with all this swag and he's saying sweeps and all of that. I'm like, look at you. Look at you. You know, like, yo, you are my baby. Look at you. So it's, just, it's, it's wonderful to see him. Mm-hmm. And to perform on the stage with these same people that you helped discover and mold yourself off of a TV show. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, it's wonderful to see that, you know, mm-hmm. wonderful to see them. And I'm happy for their success. It's like a full circle moment where you came from Tasty's to go to Rise. It really was. And I think that's why they chose me with that full circle moment with Tasty and it's like you were a contestant mm-hmm. and you know how it feels to be a contestant. It it's a crazy world. So that's why I think I was chosen for rising stars. Definitely. Definitely. We're right now we're in 2021. All right. You just came mm-hmm. up with a new EP in my blood in 2020. All right. What was the thinking behind that? And why do you decide after so long without putting out a body of work, it's time to put out a body of work now. It wasn't my decision. You know, I did a body of work from, I did a body of work while I was writing my thesis. Mm -hmm. And what really happened is that my professor called me right in the middle, like the December, I gave my thesis to um, the teacher where him just kicked me, him just boofed me. Go on back, it's not good. I was devastated. Mm -hmm. And in that time, (laughs) it's never good for true. Never good for true, no. Mm -hmm. Like looking at what it was to what it became, Never good for true. And then I just was like, okay, never know what to do in my life. I was like, damn. And uh, my professor said it was spring, spring in London. It was still cool, I remember. And I went up there and I recorded In My Blood and uh, some of the songs it was released. And I came back to Jamaica. When I came back to Jamaica, I was able to start back my thesis. And I started back my thesis and I finished it. And I, the next December, I submitted it and everything was good. And then I think I went back after and recorded more songs. And my professor had those songs forever. Okay. And he just decided to release them. Because and that's that- how, that, body, how that, that EP came out. And I had no expectations of it, none whatsoever. I knew it was good. Because mm-hmm. you know me and quality and all of that. I knew that some subst- I wrote everything, did background vocals, me and this man called, I remember, I remember, I named the Panda CD, I remember his name, and basically structured the vocals, um, and he just put it out, and put it out to critical acclaim. Europe loved it, Africa loved it, and I'm like, wow, that's so good. And then it was nominated for, as one of the top 56 albums for Reggaeville, which was, it superseded my expectations. I knew it's good work, but you know, it, and I, yeah, so yeah. What I liked with that body of work, that was your most, to me, it seemed like your most Rastafari culturish body of work that you've put out from putting out work. That's what it seemed like to me. People say that, that it's very Rasta and it's very, but I've always been this way. As I tell you, it's always in me. 
um, I, 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 it's nothing that was new for me in terms of my thought process. It's just that people saw, wanted to see what they wanted to see. And I wanted to put out more works like that when I was younger. But I think everybody wanted to me to be a dancehall queen, which I wasn't. I was like, I do dancehall, but I'm not a dancehall queen. I wanted to have a, a, a wider range of um, stuff, which I don't mind I don't mind that. It's a funny thing. I don't mind no aspect of myself musically. You know, I love dancehall. I love but I love being roots. But a lot of people cannot see you doing both. It's, it's something that it's almost like, like, like my song, Chatty Chatty. I don't know. If I, I sent you the video mm -hmm. and I'm dressed a certain way. And they said I'm being sultry. But the, li the, lyric, the lyrics is saying something else. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Chatty, chatty, more blondie. We are chatting no open on me. And because uh, you see my legs and I'm, my hair, and I'm, I'm like, so a woman can be sexual and be cultural at the same time? <laughs> what is wrong with you? So it's just like, I don't understand this mindset. I was like, how should I have sang chatty, chatty, clothed, regaled in some long dress that reach my team, which is not me? No, I express it the way that I am. I express it the way that I am. So I don't see any, you know, I have always been very roots and very conscious in my thought pattern, very kind of a different thinker. I've always been this way. Always. Trust me from, from, from even when I was putting out action, if you spoke to me, you would have seen that my headspace was just like extremely, you know, you know, a lot of culture, a lot of worldview, very, expansive and not stuck in a certain mold. But a lot of people just never took the time out to know me and they were okay in seeing that image and accepting that to be who I was, you know? So when they listen to now um, In I'm a Blood and all of those lyrical stuff, a lot of people are like, you know, are you becoming a Rastafari? I'm like, no, I'm not becoming a Rastafari. Why you ask me? Because the lyrics of animal blood, you're so spiritual. I'm like, honey, child, I've always been this way. And I probably do it in a body rider. It's just like my age, I don't I shouldn't be wearing body rider, but I would do Zion Gates sexually, probably come in me to Zion Gates. I don't know. <laughs> Listen, you you're you're a character. And again, I guess it's because with music, you'll see the action person yeah you had on your crap top and your hero and stuff like that and a lot of people their mind can't pass that right there it's not your fault per se it's just the way how a lot of people think and process, process. Venus. yeah and, and and actually such an iconic it's so iconic it's like i've tried i'm like well you don't want to pass me there that's almost 25 years ago or most, I have passed that stage, not passed that stage because I am still that woman, you know, when I, you know, but if you don't want to see the complexities of who I am and how my mind think, I, I can't do anything about that. Is either you catch up or you stay right now. I, I can't really. Yeah. It's just like artistically, you don't want to see me for what I always am. I think if you listen to that Nadine album too, that Fatis had, it have a lot more complex writing and that was in the nineties, but a lot of people just don't want, they don't want to move, but I have moved. I have, I can't say I have moved because I've always been that kind of person. 
I I don't know. I can't say that I am recording those songs because those songs are always being recorded. But I don't know how they took paid attention this time. It's because it comes from England. It could be. I think it's because it came from England. I think it's because it's a mad presser product. Mm-hmm. And it basically would come from a different geographical location. So that basically they say, oh, that's a singer girl who sing action. And they probably listen to it because of that. I don't know. Who knows? But again, one of my favorite songs off of the EP is Wagoness. And I'll tell you why. The way how you sang it, crazy, the lyrics on top of that beat. And then when you dropped in the dub after the fact, I said, yo, this song is crazy, 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 crazy. Wagoness is hot. Wagoness is hot. They got the breath to place. You know you feel. Then another thing is like, some people think I can't chat. I was like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. See, you sound like a rude girl. I'm like, I, you know, I got a lot of rude girl elements inside of me. You don't know me. You don't want to know me. Mm-hmm. You don't want to know me. All of those things. I'm Jamaican. All of those things are inside of me. It's part of my DNA. I don't have to switch. It's there. It's organic. So, yeah. So sometimes here them chat. Just kiss me teeth and say, listen to me. Me and I know your your thing there. Me, I'm busy being me. You want to catch up? You can catch up. <laughs> it makes sense. Something from your your time at Tough Gong with Bob Marley. Is there one thing that was said to you, one thing you had seen that molded you for the rest of your life from Tough Gong? Discipline. Discipline. Taking your work and your art serious. Mm-hmm. Making sure you try to do the best work possible. Quality. Bob was a master at that. I mean, I didn't spend time with him, but I spent time with Rita and the I3 and Ziggy them that they basically, they, their, their, their way of processing the music was um, formulated by Mrs. Marley because Mrs. Marley worked with Bob. So like they rehearsed, you, know, you hear people talk, I mean, the myth of Bob when you walk around Tough Gang. Bob Marley rehearsed before I record. Rehearse, 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 rehearse. So by the time them go on, everything tight. And I find that when I rehearse and go on stage and everything tight, because I'm used to that kind of thing. When I go out, we perform with the melody makers and me and the I3 and all of that. We rehearsed. We plan. What we are going to do? So you rehearse and you know all of that. And I get used to that. Bob was a perfectionist when it come on to his craft. Um, you look at it and you try to put out good music. Discipline in how you, you, you process your music. You know, pop subs, kaba kaba. We can't take them kind of thing. Then we can't take it. I sometimes we just say, we can't bother because we can't bother. Because if it's not going to be from a space of professionalism, what am I going to take up myself to far? Crazy. Listen, in 40 years, 41 years, actually, of seeing everything that you've seen in this music business, all right? What's been the best change that you've noticed in this business over the time that you've been in it? I think more women, <clears throat> more younger women and men willing to spend on women. Um, and you're seeing a difference. You see Protege with Lila Ike and Savannah. Um, you see Ramesh with Shenshia and they're spending on them. So it's a different kind of... Nobody not spending money from me. Me survive through talent. 
to share the brilliance of my talents when me survive. The body back in the days spent any money on me. I just like sometimes I even wonder how I make it through. I know it's like that's why you always I had to think about brilliance and singing and all of that. No, you can see that they're spending money and it makes a difference. Spending money on their social media, spending money for radio man to play them, spending money to get them artists out there and it's making a difference. So you're seeing that changing and I'm happy for that, you know? Makes a lot of sense here. I got one more question before you get you out of here. 41 years. What, if you were to walk away today, never hear from you ever again, what would be one thing you'd want everybody to remember about you in this music? I did my best. I heard Tinder said it in a Cicely Tyson. And I was like, I'm always saying that, that anytime they listen to a Nadine Sutherland, they hear good singing. They hear that it's pitched correctly and they can see that I put work in it. And they can say, boy, the girl could have sing. But even if she can't sing, you hear her diction, you hear how she try, you hear the song right. She was a talented mama. That's what I want people to always get away, take away from me. Just a boy, boy, and that I try. So that's it right yeah. there if they want to stay up to date with you check out anything you have coming up where could they find you on social media nadine sutherland but please i think much song chatty chatty must get one like on youtube that's not true <laughs> i like me i like check out chatty chatty on youtube check out um my instagram check out my facebook check out and all of that twitter I'm trying to stay abreast of social media. One time I couldn't stand it. I never like it. But no, I realize that it's the way that your fan can communicate with you. And that alone, because one time I said, I want to blow it fake like a, a pure fake thing. I'm me not a fake. But then when I can reframe it, it's the way that your Adila Aiki did say to me, you know, it's the way that your fans can communicate with you. I start to think of it different. So communicate with me, people, and listen out for new material. Crazy. Before we go, you could get us out of here with one of my favorite songs, period, Babyface. Pure man love Babyface. Every man thinks a Babyface right for them. But I'm going to do it for you. <laughs> man love Babyface. I never say a song where man love song. All right. This is for my Babyface. You got a cute baby face. This is for my baby face. Yeah, 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 yeah. Listen up. We have so many things in common. <laughs> yeah, we are two different people. We just love being around each other yet we'll give each other space to grow step by step we are getting stronger you're the strong <laughs> for you <laughs> listen Miss Sutherland it's been a pleasure just to actually sit down with somebody like you and hear what you've been through, good, bad, and indifferent 
over these years, because that's a long time. I don't think people really understand how long 40 years is. Well, I mean, I understand because sometimes I think, I don't know even now, sometimes I say, it's so real, I pinch myself. I've left, I thought I left the music industry, my song, them say, it's just like, as I always say, music chose me. I didn't choose music. Mm-hmm. What do you think you would be doing if you weren't doing music? Um, I don't know. Probably, you know, I worked a while for the director for the performing arts. So probably I would work with children. You know, I feel sometimes the need to give back and probably that's what I would do. I mean, I have a master's in cultural studies. I am currently doing, you know, piano and voice and all of that. So probably, I don't know, putting out my music. I, I don't know. I don't know what I would be doing. I have no idea. Yeah. You, you have this super free-spirited, that's grounded in culture that it's you're almost very mysterious if you just look at your picture you would never know who you really are unless you sit down and have a conversation with you no people always judge me by how i look i get used to that (laughs) (laughs) i'm always judged by how i look so it's, it's nothing it's like unless you really as you say sit down and speak with me you know who i am it's all speculative i don't know what i represent but this brown eye girl always got judged. It's all good. And you're still here. Hopefully we get another 40 years out of you. You understand? I hope so too. I hope so too. Miss Sutherland. All right, no flow. Thank you. God bless you. Great Take care. Let me give you an outro. It really was. I enjoyed it. Thank you very much. No problem. Let me give you an outro and get you out of here. Well, yeah, ladies man. and gentlemen, this is Muscle. And this has been another Two-Line Music Huts Entertainment Report podcast, and we are out. Yay! This podcast is brought to you by www.twolinedmusichut.com.